Welcome to PCTY Talks, a new podcast from the human capital management software provider, Paylocity. I'm your host, Sherry Simpson, and as an HR program manager at Paylocity, I will be navigating our journey together as we explore bite-sized topics around HR thought leadership, compliance, diversity and inclusion, and product knowledge. If you have an idea for a future podcast topic, please drop me a note at PCTYTalks at Paylocity.com. On today's episode, I've invited Taylor Evers, our HR generalist and strategic alignment partner for all our Paylocity employee resource groups, and Chital Patel, our agile coach and the co-chair for our One World ERG that focuses on diversity and inclusion initiatives across the organization. Chital and Taylor, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you for having us. Glad to be here, Sherry. So we have a pretty heavy topic today. The pandemic has brought about a feeling of isolation and fear for many. As schools and businesses start to reopen slowly and gradually, people continue to worry about their health, their families, their jobs, and frankly, their future. All of these worries make sense. And of course, there's nothing wrong with being afraid. But as people share news, fears and concerns, some people are sharing something else um, as well. And we're seeing um, an increase in racism, xenophobia. In fact, The Economist recently published an article called The Pathogen of Prejudice that specifically speaks about the fear of COVID-19 making people, frankly, behave badly. So, Chatal, I want to start with you and your work with the One World ERG. Can you share what you've been hearing happening around us right now? Yeah, so um, several different sources um, are starting to report that uh, there has been an increase in aggressive incidents against Asian Americans due to the pandemic we are in. And according to an organization called Stop AAPI Hate, which um, has been tracking self-reported incidents, more than 1,700 physical and verbal attacks have been reported against Asian Americans since late March. And um, these attacks have been of different intensity. For example, an Asian American family, including a two-year child, was brutally attacked at a Sam's Club store in Midland, Texas. And the attacker admitted to police after being apprehended that he tried to kill them because he believed they were Chinese people infecting Americans with the coronavirus. In another incident, a school nurse was unlocking his bicycle when an older white man called him a racial slur and spat at him. These kinds of events and incidents are not specific to the pandemic. Um, if you look back in history, most of these uh, most of this, uh kind of crisis um, tend to create stress in the society and that sometimes result into acts of aggression. Think Islamophobia after 9-11. And while it uh, might be tempting for us to think that we should just shake off this kind of behavior or language um, and focus on larger concerns, the truth is that racist and um, xenophobic actions and words have real world effects. Uh, In times like today, I believe that it's very important that we don't remain indifferent. As human beings, um, it's our moral obligation to express that acts of aggression are not acceptable. We as a society can be so much bigger than our differences in ignorance. And it is up to all of us to make it clear that we're not okay with racist responses to this crisis or any other crisis. Chital, it's so important to address these behaviors. Um, You know, otherwise the danger is that such behavior becomes normalized. The implications are wide and deep. Sustained exposure to aggression of any kind can cause severe mental health issues. And we know that um, that is detrimental to the overall well-being of an individual. Relationships get affected, work gets affected, 
livelihoods get affected. Uh, society as a whole can be rather harsh, um, especially when bias goes unchecked. It becomes normalized and contributes to that pattern of accepting discrimination, hate, and injustice in society. Um, in extreme escalations, history has shown that unchecked bias can lead to very grave consequences like genocide. When we challenge those biases and attitudes and the behaviors in ourselves and others, um, as well as institutions, we can in in interrupt the escalation of bias and make it more difficult for discrimination and hate to flourish. Um, I really believe that it's important that we equip ourselves with knowledge, awareness, and some practical tools to combat aggression and biased behaviors. So Taylor, I wanna direct this question to you. Um, Aggression doesn't have to be obvious either. You see this come to life in microaggressions. What types of microaggressions and, and as well macroaggressions should we watch out for? Yeah, Sherry, absolutely. So first I wanted to start off by explaining what a microaggression is. Um, these can be observed in everyday verbal or nonverbal or even environmental slights, uh, snubs, or insults. Now, whether they're intentional or, or not, um, it's when we communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative messages towards people uh, based solely upon their marginalized group or membership. So um, while these are generally discussed from the perspective of race and racism, any marginalized group in society can become a target. So that's people of color, women, LGBTQ+, um, those with disabilities or religious minorities, et cetera. Um, so one example to look for during these times, um, for example, could be an Asian American uh, born and raised in the United States um, and is for speaking good English. Um, or another example that's commonly seen is when a white man or woman clutches their purse or checks their wallet as a black or Latino man passes them. Now, macroaggressions are probably things that we're more familiar with seeing as racism, and they're defined as that kind of racism towards any specific race or other marginalized group. Um, so examples earlier that Chital shared regarding our Asian Americans, um, those are macroaggressions. And I think it's important to point out that the reason these micro and macro aggressions occur are because of uh, implicit biases. Um, so implicit biases are opinions about people who are not members of the same group. And this can be developed over time through experiences starting from a young age. Um, they're developed without our awareness and can be referred to as blind spots to how you uh, interpret super groups of people. Biases can be positive or negative. So for example, um, I learned someone went to the same college as me, maybe I view them more positively. Um, but many times these negative racial implicit biases do lead to discrimination and thus it's important for us to be aware of our biases. So for example, because I don't know much about a certain culture, maybe I view it as weird or uncomfortable. So that would be a negative implicit bias. I think it's interesting that you pointed out that these biases can be something you grow up with. So I think about my own journey as an adult and the things that I kind of just thought were the way that life was because it was how I was raised. Um, but you hit the nail on the head by talking about, you know, you need to be aware of, of what's happening in your brain and what you think about things and you know, to be able to influence them. So um, addressing micro and macroaggression along with implicit bias can be nerve wracking. Um, you know, it's, it has to be at the forefront. So Chital, what methods or processes can individuals take to respond when they see implicit bias and aggression either in themselves or others? So a, a common protocol that works really well at an individual level is a four-step process. Interrupt, question, educate, and echo. Interrupting means taking time out. So it shows the person you're talking to, texting or chatting with that what they have said is important enough 
for you to pause your conversation to address that you need to talk about that, the racism before you talk about anything else. So you might um, say something like, hang on, I want to go back to what you called the virus. Or um, before we talk about anything else, I want to talk about the language you just used. The second step is to question. And the goal of questioning in this context is to better understand why the person said what they said. So you may say something like, what made you say that? Or why did you call it the Chinese coronavirus? Or why did you think that? Where did you get your information? This kind of simple phrases can put the individual that you're interacting with in a rethinking mode. The third step um, is about educating, which is very important to continue the conversation. The goal of this step is not just to provide facts about the topic to the person you're talking to, but also to explain why what they said needs rethinking. That means that to educate folks around racism, around coronavirus, we need to understand and explain not only the virus, but the racism, both of them. There are two different concepts and we need to educate on both. So for example, you may explain that it's actually not common anymore to name a disease after its place of origin, that there's a long bad history of associating disease with um, a specific group of people or a specific area, and that the name COVID-19 was chosen very carefully to avoid repeating those kinds of mistakes. Um, if someone, for example, doesn't understand why a comment they made was racist, you can ed educate them on the long history of um, stereotyping and how that is both wrong and harmful. The last step is to echo. You see, it takes a lot of effort and courage to speak up against racist ideas and language. When someone does speak up, echo them, thank them emphasize or amplify their message in any way you can, this not only encourages more speaking up, but it also ensures that no one thinks your silence in response to biased ideas or language means you're okay with it. If you're not okay with it, speak up, echo. If we all commit to interrupting, questioning, educating, and echoing to fight racist rhetoric, we can start making and keeping our community safer and healthier. I like that method. Something that really resonated with me is I think about um, there's lots of scenarios where you've run into where somebody will say something and when you confront them, um, they'll say, well, it's just a joke, right? And so I think that's a good example of where not saying something, not taking that next step to say, yeah, but even though you think it's just a joke, let me educate you about the discrimination and racism that people are facing right now. And so that person has a better understanding and impact of their words because it, words are powerful. Um, and, and it's a good way for us to take some ownership in, in helping to change those things. Taylor, what about organizations? How can they create awareness and support? Yes. So, um, during all times, I think it's important for organizations to create a safe space for all employees, um, but especially during these times. So um, one thing you can do as an organization is make sure you're sharing accurate information about how the, how the virus is spreading and raise awareness without increasing fear. So making sure you're pulling from the CDC website directly or, or some other fact base rather than sharing opinions. Uh, make sure you're speaking out against negative behavior. So if you uh, hear of an employee um, acting in a certain way that maybe spreads hate or fear, make sure you're addressing that with that employee directly. Uh, it's important to share the need for social support for people who are worried about friends or relatives in that affected region. So provide a space either with a manager or um, with a group of coworkers where they feel that they can be heard and that they feel comfortable uh, speaking about this. Um, 
Engage with stigmatized groups in person or through media channels, including your social media. So now's the time to remind your employees of the importance of workplace respect and, and sort of reinforcing those uh, policies and trainings that you've worked so hard on already. And lastly, don't make any sort of assumptions. Teach your employees not to make assumptions. Uh, you know, the focus on education is so important. Um, additionally, organizations can also ensure they have clear policies around zero tolerance on harassment and discrimination. Managers closely interacting with staff members and often yield more influence with them. So share processes and talking points with managers. That way they can help you engage um, your employees in appropriate discussions. And then refresh your manager's memories with steps to appropriately handle employee complaints should they find themselves in a situation where improper behavior has been experienced or witnessed by an employee. Um, overall, I think the steps that Chital, you provided that you can help to think about this as you're handling your own situations and then tailor the details around organizations. I think if we can do these things, we'll be moving in the right direction to bring light to some of these things. So in closing, I think it's important to highlight how the virus is disproportionately impacting minorities, not because they're more susceptible to the virus, but because of the various social economic issues, including access to healthcare, access to COVID-19 testing, poverty, housing density, and jobs with no options to work from home. COVID-19 doesn't discriminate. It crosses all racial and ethnic barriers. It's really important that we use this time to come together and focus on being greater together than on um, pulling each other down or looking at others in, in a discriminatory light. Taylor and Chital, thank you for spending time with me today and the important work that you both do with our employee resource groups to spread awareness. I really appreciate it.